Hello and welcome to Bootstrap, the podcast for software bootstrappers. If you are running a software company or looking to start one, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Steve McLeod. The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the bootstrapped community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. Today's guest sponsor is Ivy Backup. Running an online business is always hectic. The last thing you need is for your computer to crash or give up when you least expect it. Ivy Backup is an easy to use native app that will help you forget about data loss and keep you focused on what really matters, building great products. Try it today at ivybackup.com. That's I, V for Victor, Y, backup.com. If you'd like to have your startup advertised on this podcast for free, courtesy of Balsamic, or receive a promo code for Balsamic, or even just thank them for supporting our community, visit balsamic.com slash go slash bootstrapped. That's balsamic with a Q dot com slash go slash bootstrapped. Hi, everyone. I'm Ed, co-founder of OpenCage, and I'm co-hosting the Bootstrap podcast. With me, of course, is our normal host, Steve. Steve, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, thanks, Ed. How about yourself? I cannot complain. We're getting into the holiday season here, so uh, it's, it's um, you know, it's good. You used to live in Germany and, and London, I think. Uh, do you yeah. find every time of the year all your friends on Facebook back in those places are complaining about how cold it is and you're just sitting back smugly thinking that's why I moved to a warm city? You know what? This is the very first year I kind of missed the autumn. With the, I, I went back to Germany about six weeks ago and the leaves were kind of turned in color and stuff. And I was the first time I kind of missed I missed it. But what I don't I don't mind the cold as much. What I miss or what, what I find really annoying when I go back is the darkness. It oh, gets yeah. dark so early. And here in Barcelona, you get spoiled because we always have sunshine. Even even uh, if it's a bit cooler, you still at least get the sun. I so. think we're going to start getting some feedback for this podcast soon. And they're going to say, stop talking about Barcelona in every episode. But people, it's great here. Yeah, everyone should come visit. So Definitely. Actually, this week, of course, is the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S. And one of my best, uh, one of a good buddy, a guy I worked with for many years in London, who then moved to the U.S., he is now here with his family. So so this week was not a very productive week for me because we've, we've been going out um, with my buddy. So. so you're living a little bit of American life this week while you're in Spain. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It's it, We didn't get a turkey and things like that, but we did have a very nice dinner. So. Does Thanksgiving kill your sales like it does for mine? Well, it does. We definitely see Thanksgiving and at Christmas, of course, that the, the things do slow down a little bit. But no, I mean, we have customers all over the world. So, you know, the U.S. is a big market, but it's by no means our only market. So, no, no, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I think this is the second year in a row where I've noticed things have just like gone so quiet on our site. When I say quiet, we got half the normal traffic on Thursday and Wednesday than we would normally get. Right. And I, at first I was puzzled, like what happened? What happened on Wednesday? And then I realized, well, that's this big holiday in America where people, I think are already shutting down on Wednesday and traveling home. 
Well, this gets this gets back to our conversation from a couple weeks ago about pricing in foreign currencies and things like that. It's like if all of your customers come from one market, you're very susceptible to things in that market, right? Be it holidays or whatever the economic conditions there are. So a good argument for diversification. Definitely. The yeah. arguments in favor of it just keep increasing. Anyways, give us an update on your business. How are things going? Going well. Actually, I think November, despite the drop off in traffic in the last couple of days looks like to be our best month ever in terms of absolute increase in MRR. Congrats. It's always nice. Yeah, it's always nice uh, to do that. We have had a big uptick in support. I'd say this month our support has doubled in number of tickets. And I was wondering what that could be. You know, you always try to find the cause to, to explain it and you come up with some theory. It's possibly not accurate, but what I'm explaining it with is that the previous month we we did our onboarding emails, we put in more of them and we changed the tone of them to be far more friendly and asking people to contact us with any questions. And I think it's turning out that people are doing that. So you're saying you, you ask people to write to you and now people are writing to you. Well, yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. I, unintended, right. <laughs> unintended consequence of uh, actually asking people to do something. Uh-huh. But these are not hard to answer emails, but I like it because it's actually allowing us to make that connection with the customer to show them that we can answer support questions very quickly and very accurately. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. It's a, that's the best way to learn, of course, of course. The other thing that happened for me is I went ahead and bought one of those new developer-friendly MacBook Pros, the 16-inch monitor. Very nice. Uh, it was a relief because I was using a computer from 2013, which I dropped a couple of years ago and was making strange noises, and I have not felt confident using it. But Apple did not have the like the right Mac to replace it with. For a while there, they had those ones without the escape key and the keyboards right, that everybody right, was right, complaining right. about. So I got this this week. Did you go to the Mac store here in Barcelona or, where, or the Apple store or how do you buy it? You, per, you order it? I got it, order it online because in the Mac store here, or in the Apple store here, they only have Spanish keyboard layouts, which are not great for programmers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went actually, I guess it was last year to go buy a new computer and then I got there and I, I hadn't thought it through and I realized, oh crap, I don't, I don't want these keyboards. Right. So. I can't quite remember, but I think it's the curly brackets. You have to push three keys to get them and... If you program in Java, that's very inconvenient. I learned how to type and program on a German keyboard. So the old I, quirks. It, it's a real pain for me to use a non-German keyboard, actually. Also, uh-huh. also the first mobile phone I ever got was in German. So I always I keep my phone in German because otherwise I, I get confused by the, you know, you, you just recognize the words and the flows and uh-huh. you get confused otherwise, so. With dinosaurs, Ed, with dinosaurs. Well, I still type with like three fingers. I've never learned how to really type. So so if you want to get a German keyboard, order your, a Mac online from the Apple store in Spain, but you get to choose which keyboard you want or keyboard layout. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good tip. Because good they tip. all come from the same place, right? You order it from the Apple Spain store online, but they still come from Shanghai. Right. All right. Well, sound, sounds like a good month for your business. Yeah, it's good. I'm happy with it leading up into the end of the year. And what about yourself, Ed? What's been happening in the world of Open Cage? Well, we one bit of good news. We hired a uh, or we started working with a freelance designer. So that that so far seems good. It seems like he gets what we're up to. So hopefully, is that our mutual contact? Yeah, it was through. No, it's not the guy that you recommended. I I did get in touch with him, but he um, he's not available yet for a couple months. So maybe we'll do some stuff with him 
in 2020, but we found another guy and he, uh, let's see, you know, it's the first month, but, but so far positive seems, seems like he gets what we're up to. So did you have a designer before that, or this is something new for you? No. Yeah. We didn't really have a designer before that. We, we just very ad hoc. And, and this is one, one area we kind of work, want to work on is that our, our target audience is software developers, but in some respects, our website kind of looks like it's designed by software developers, which, <laughs> which is, isn't always great. So um, I think we, it's an area we can do a bit better on. So that will be a focus for the coming year. Uh, I'm interested to hear how that goes. Yeah. So, and that it gets to the other main topic that we've been on is kind of planning for the year ahead and um, thinking about what kind of projects we want to take on and where we want to put the focus and, you know, kind of how much money to spend on things like marketing and which experiments to do and things like that. But really, man, the big the big thing this past week, though, was just dealing with all the fan mail because, um, you know, the first episode that I co-hosted with you came out and, you know, my life has turned upside down now, you know, all the... <laughs> Did you have to hire a couple of assistants to ghost well, answer and sign autographs? I'm scared to speak in public because people are like, wait, that voice, I know it. Where Are, are you on, on the Bootstrapped FM podcast? So... So, welcome to your new life of fame, <laughs> or is it infamy? But it, it actually was pretty interesting. It's it's cool to see the feedback people get and give on the forum and things like that. So it's very nice, very cool. Yeah, that's yeah. People, you don't realize how nice it is to get someone. So thank you for putting something together until you start doing it. But it's really nice the the feedback we've been getting in various ways. So keen listeners would notice that the start of every episode for the I think third three episodes now, or is it four episodes, have had a sponsorship message from Balsamic. Uh, I was really happy when Balsamic approached us about that. There is a cost to putting together the podcast with uh, podcast hosting and audio editing and hosting the discussion forum. So they're helping to defray the cost of that. Now, you know, it's good to have a sponsor, but it's even better to have a sponsor I actually like. And I've been a keen user of Balsamic since almost the day they launched back in 2008. So when Peldy from Balsamic asked, hey, Steve, is there a chance of us sponsoring you? It was an easy yes. I don't have to pretend to to like the company sponsoring us, which that's nice. It is. Nice. He gave a very good talk this year at MicroComp Europe talking oh. about the transition of Balsamic to the cloud. It was, in my opinion, one of the best talks of the event. So, I've heard him give five or six talks. I haven't heard that one, but five or six talks. And for me, they're always the standout talk of a of a conference. He's been talking at both Business of Software and MicroConf for, for years. Yeah. If I see Paladies on the agenda at a conference, it always, always makes me more interested in going. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about our discussion forum associated with the podcast, discuss.bootstrap.com. We got some interesting feedback on, I think it was two episodes ago, episode 116, where we talked about localized pricing. If you recall, Ed, you were talking about the benefit of making pricing available in the currency that people actually use. And one listener wrote a different way of doing it. His site is in multiple languages and the language determines which currency he makes available. So for example, the French version of the website, why offer Australian dollars to that? He only offers European uh, euros and Canadian dollars. To the Dutch people, he only offers euros, but in English, then you get the whole range. I thought this was a really interesting and clever way of doing it. Yes, I understand the instinct. I guess as someone, I can tell you as a, someone who's not particularly fluent in Spanish, but lives in Spain, I find it super annoying 
when websites try to switch me to Spanish or configure my settings based as if I were Spanish. So I, I think there's a little bit of a risk there. Yeah, right. So particularly like like I would make sure English, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, English is the global language. So I would always make sure someone who's who speaks English, they should be able to pick whichever currency they want. But if it works for him, I mean, I guess it depends on your product and you know the audience and could be an easy way to do it. You need to make it easy for people to change. If if they don't want French or they don't want German or Dutch, make it easy to pick the language they do want. So I actually was looking at his site before we started recording and he does that. There's a big language button right at the top of the page. And when I pick different languages, I could see those pricing options change. So it was giving me the one I want. That is critical. It's, there's nothing worse than someone traps me in the language I don't really want. And and actually, you know, even okay. So so you know, we're kind of foreigners living in a different country, and we're we're um, maybe that's a very small group. But I, you know, here in Barcelona, obviously, language is a big political issue, and many people want to communicate in Catalan, not in Spanish. And and I've heard they find it very annoying if they get defaulted to Spanish and things like that. So you should definitely. Let people let people transact the way they want to transact. I guess is the lesson. I I agree. I agree one hundred percent. Actually, the guy who who we're talking about who has the pricing dependent on language. I looked at his site. It's anyrail.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. This is an incredible product. It allows you to make model railroad designs in software. Wow! Now I'm staggered that such a product exists. And I think it's something really great about bootstrapping. You only need a few customers in each country around the world or in each major country for it to be a viable product. And there must be so many products like this that we don't even know about, which are making a good uh, income for the for the founder. Well, this is the, the thousand true fans theory, right? I'm not sure you're familiar with that. What the, Tell me about it. So the idea is that whereas previously, if you were a creator in whatever way, let's say a musician or a writer or whatever, you were kind of limited geographically to the audience you could serve, right? Or you had to go through a gatekeeper like a, a music publishing company or a, a book publishing company, um, and they could they could limit the options. Um, whereas now with the internet, you have unlimited distribution, and so you can go very niche. And if you can come, if you can find a thousand people who love what you are doing. And and they're willing to pay you a hundred dollars a year for whatever you're doing. You know that's an income of a hundred thousand dollars, right? Which is enough that you can right. live on. And it doesn't have to go through a distributor and an agent and a publisher. It all goes to you, exactly. minus the fees for payment processing. Very. Um, so if you search for thousand true fans essay, you'll you'll find the essay, and it's it's a compelling argument. And and I see more and more of that. You can go very niche, and your audience can be all over the world. And there, there's no reason really to need to appeal to you know, the mainstream or the local audience where you happen to be based, you, you can find your audience wherever they are. So, yeah, it's wonderful. And I think my previous product, my desktop app for online poker players, for a long time, this was only for people who had Macs. So you had to be, first of all, somebody who enjoyed playing poker online. Second, you had to be serious enough about it to put, to pay money for a software tool. And third, you had to be using a Mac. And yeah, that's also one of these products that could only have existed in this day that we're living in now where you don't have to go through all the gatekeepers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And this one other th- topic I wanted to bring up. Oh, yeah, the freemium. So here's a question that somebody asked on our discussion forum. He's asking about what makes good version limitations for a freemium product. I thought we could discuss this, Ed. 
my product is a, or our product is a freemium product and it's kind of a love hate relationship with it, frankly. Okay. Let me just read out his question. So the, the listeners know where we're coming from. So he says uh, two of his competing products or two of his competitors recently switched to a freemium model and he's thinking of doing the same. And he's asking what great limitations have you seen in a freemium pricing model? What type of limitations have actually convinced you as a user to later pay for the product? How long did it take? So there's a few things there to unpack. I think there's some assumptions there that, that I, I would question. Ed, what do you think? Well, fundamentally, freemium is all about how do you give the, the potential customer a chance to try before they buy. So like, it, I think it depends a lot on your category that you're in. But in our category, selling to software developers, software developers absolutely want to play with the tool before they're going to commit to purchasing it. I guess in your case, with your, your feedback boards, they could look at the board of another customer or you could set up kind of a, a demo board or something like that. But you know, increasingly, people want to test before they purchase, right? And then what, what he mentions is if your competitors are offering freemium, frankly, you're almost going to have to follow suit, right? In that. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. That, that assumes that all your customers have a perfect knowledge of the market and that they've actually gone and compared you to other people. Okay, fair. Perhaps what they've done is they've typed into Google, how do I solve problem X? They find your site, they think, oh, this sounds great. And that's the end of their, their search. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that would depend on the category, but I don't know. I think relying on ignorance of customers, I don't know if that's a great long-term strategy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree you may get some people in the door that way, but I don't know. Or, of course, maybe you have a product that's it's clear it's so superior to your competitors, but typically that's also hard to demonstrate, right? Without You need to have a way to demonstrate for them. Anyway, the fundamental idea of freemium is that you give them some free version of the product and um, limited in some way. So it could be limited by functionality. It could be limited by time. And maybe the, the volume that they're allowed to use is limited, um, but they, enough that they can truly test the product. And then once they hit the limit, whatever that is, they upgrade to a paid plan. The challenge is, of course, I think getting what is the limit and how do you limit it? And how do you, so if you limit by time, what do you do if the guy says, oh, I didn't have time to test? Are you going to say, tough luck? You can never become, you know, you're, yeah. you're done. I mean, but if you're limiting by time, that's not really freemium. That's more like a, just a standard trial period. Yeah, but many, okay, that, I guess that's more of a, 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 just a trial, but. I guess limiting by functionality or by volume is the more traditional yeah. one. So, but again, here it's quite hard because if you, you know, which features do you give away for free and which do you, you know, if, if all the good features are behind the paywall, then the guy, you know, says, well, I can't really, I can't really test it or I can't really see the power of it. You know, and maybe he doesn't have the aha moment that causes him to then say, oh, wow, I need to become a customer. And, but if on the flip side of that, if you give it all away, you know, then why should they ever become a customer, right? Right, right. So some people would use like a watermarking on output or somehow like an annoying pop-up message that gets presented to, to people. For example, uh, the charting library I used to use before we paid for a license, every chart had this big watermark saying produced with such and such charting library. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess the problem there is, I guess for some people, they'll just they're just happy to use it with the watermark, right? Or um, yeah, yeah. So in in our service, we limit by volume. So you can sign up for free for a free trial, and then you can do two thousand five hundred API requests per day, and that resets every day. So you can 
you can test as long as you want. Um, but we do tell people is that um, the free trial is for testing, right? It's not for ongoing mm -hmm. production use. But the problem with this approach is, is that, you know, many people try to sign up multiple times to get around, get around yeah. becoming a customer. And so it's a never ending battle. And, you know, some people do this in a very trivial way where they, you know, they, you know, the Bob at Gmail and then they sign up again with Bob plus one at Gmail. And that's pretty straightforward to detect. But we have also seen people who do very industrialized kind of, you know, people will sign up for 100 accounts and things like that, clearly in an automated way. Where at some point you're just like, Christ, buddy, I mean, wouldn't it just be faster to pay me you know, my $50 a month instead of, you know, but some people like to beat the system. Well, I also think it's some people, yeah, there are different issues because we have actually then emailed with some of these people and been able to have a dialogue with some of them. Some of them, they're from countries where, you know, they can't afford the price or also, you know, we require a credit card and some people are like, I don't have a credit card or I don't have a way, mm -hmm. you know, if I put in my personal credit card, I'm not confident my boss is going to reimburse it or things like that. Or they don't want to, they don't want to take the time to explain to the guy who actually has control of the credit card, why this is needed. Frankly, in some people, I think it's just cultural. They have a deep ingrained idea that they should not have to pay for services on the internet. And that cultural, it may be based on the country they're from, or it may be the subgroup within a particular country. Honestly, there are times you despair because we're honestly at the point now where we're thinking of blocking signups from certain countries because oh, wow. because people from the country just are it, it's it's just I I can't spend, you know, so much time trying to fight against people who are trying to steal from me. And and that's yeah. really how I view it. I mean, like the same way the way I, the analogy I always use is like if you're a restaurant, maybe you put out appetizers and you say whoever wants to you know try my food come and have a free appetizer or two but when the if you want to have a meal of course you're going to have to pay for that you know and and what you mm -hmm. can't do is come eat the appetizers every single day and never purchase a meal i mean that doesn't work but pe people don't care people people you know people are just trying to do whatever they want so we do spend actually a fair amount of time kind of trying to, to stop this behavior or think about ways to inhibit this behavior. You know, this could be things like captures so that they can't do automated signups and things like that. What about you? How do people try your service? Uh, so we're on the 30 day trial and if somebody wants an extension, they can ask, we give it to them without any questions, without any problems. In fact, if they've gone through the whole 30 day trial and actually haven't done anything with the product, if we if we detect there's been no activity, then we automatically offer them a trial, send out an email. I see. So I actually have no experience with running a freemium product. The whole concept scares me. And just hearing you talk now scares me even more because it sounds like you do quite a lot of work having to deal with the headaches of offering freemium. Well, I think it depends heavily on your service. So like in our like in your case, if someone signs up and starts using the feedback board and then publicly exposes it to their users or or whatever, you know, it's clear they if they then lose that, you know, if you turn it off on them, they, they, yeah. there's a big penalty for them. You know, it's annoying for them. In our case, people are coming to our, you know, they maybe they only have a one-time need. And so they come yeah. and they try to do it and then they, then they leave. So so I think it does depend on your, your you know, the nature of your product. This is the problem. Actually, we do have that problem a little bit with people who want to use Feature Upvote for a conference. Oh, right. Okay. Or for a... Yeah for a, a work event that only lasts a day or a weekend. And why would they pay when their whole usage falls within the 30-day trial? To the credit of some people, they still go ahead and pay for this. 
when and then cancel a month later and like frankly if you're just going to use me for one month use our product for one month i'm happy for you to, to use it without paying all right okay. the cost of us of that is is close to zero if you don't expect us to set up custom domain names and stuff for you and do you i guess one thing you could do is kind of you know during the trial does the product have full functionality or is it the branding different or something like that like are there certain things that they can't do during the trial or it's close to full functionality a couple of things we don't enable because they could be used for spamming purposes or other malicious means, okay. uh, phishing and so on. Yeah. But we do have the powered by feature upvote sign at the bottom of each page. Okay. So yeah, in a way, it's a kind of advertising for us. What's happening is that they're using us for a purpose we never really designed it for. So yeah, I'm just, it's interesting to watch them come up with this usage. But what, what can I do? Well, have you thought, have we, what we have thought about doing is, so to a degree, we kind of have two customer groups, right? We have the people who have an ongoing need and those people, for those people, our service works well and our pricing model works well and everything. But then we do have these people who kind of have a one-time need. And, mm. and those are the people who typically try to, let's say, cheat. So I have thought about, should we offer a different price point or, or some kind of one-time pricing? Or the thing is, a, it then complicates things because then you have to explain two different yeah. pricing. And B, the the people that we've been dealing with, who the the, the hardcore cheaters, you know, I don't have the sense I, I, any price would be too much for them. It, you know, if if the issue yeah. is you can't convince the boss to put in the credit card, it doesn't really matter if the price is one dollar or twenty dollars or whatever. You're you're still not going to convince the boss. So. Hey. That's a great point that just brings me back to my corporate days. I remember now that we would use some products in the corporate world for free and find ways of using them for free simply because it was so hard to get the organization to pay, not because that was tight, but because it was so bureaucratical. Yeah, we definitely face that challenge quite a bit. I'm not, there, there's no simple solution really. I do think companies are getting better. You know, people are getting more and more yeah. adept at, more and more used to purchasing things or, and there are more and more also tools on the purchasing side, like, um, you know, virtual credit card numbers and things like that. And it, more tools to like limit the spending on a card or whatever. So it's not necessarily that the boss has to give the employee, you know, a blank ticket, a blank check or whatever. But, but one of the big challenges we face in this kind of free model is how much support should we provide to these people you know if, right. if, if if on the one hand of course someone you know they might come with legitimate questions and i want to help them because you know if they're testing then they're on the path to becoming a customer and potentially becoming a big customer so i can't not support them but on the other hand you know i don't if, if i have hundreds of people signing up every day i can't i don't you know th th there are only so many hours in the day um, and of course i give priority to my paying customers so how do you handle that yeah that's a tough one that's trying to work out whether they are a genuine lead or somebody just basically wasting your time right and i say so i think a lot of people who just use the freemium plan they're a completely different type of market segment like you talked about people from even cultures where pain and i'm not even sure if their feedback is very useful if they write to you and say love the product that i'm using for free could you add this thing or change this thing maybe what they're asking for is not actually what your paying customers want yeah that could be you know when freemium's working well you're getting a lot of people because they're coming for the free service and hopefully you know some or, or many of them upgrade eventually but you're also learning from those free people 
And um, so at the very least, you're improving your product. Um, it's also a marketing tool, of course, and hopefully they're, they're having a good experience. They're generating word of mouth. But yeah, it is a big, it's an open question of like, are you just doing work for free? And, and you know, that's not a great business. <laughs> so. so in general, if a bootstrapper, first-time bootstrapper came to you and said, hey, Ed, I'm, I'm trying to work out my pricing model, my business model. Should I do freemium? What would be your gut answer with very little about information about what they're actually doing? I don't think I could give a good answer without without knowing what category they're in and who the kind of target users are and who they're competing with. Like I said, I think if all of your if the competitors in your space are all offering a free, you know, entry tier, it's going to be very very hard if you don't. I, I basically I would I, you know. What I would say is you don't necessarily have to do premium. You do have to give people a way to see the power of the product. And yeah. and so either that could be through some sort of free tier or it could be a demo account or a demo. You know, so one service that we use is Bare Metrics. And what I really like is when you go to their site, you can see the bare you can see the actual bare metrics dashboard of their company. You know, so like in your case with your feedback boards, you could have your for your actual you could have show people your own service right and then they can which, see the power we, of yeah. it and which we do yeah and we have two boards they can look at one that's our own feedback that we're gathering on the product and one is a demo that we just wipe every now and then and it says clearly at the top this is just for you to play around so you can I try what it's like to use it and without worrying that anything you write is important right so so in a case like that people have the ability to assess the product um which is kind of the 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 idea behind freemium i guess um i want to go back to the uh the beginning of the question that was on the forum which was about his two of his competitors starting to offer freemium mm -hmm. i i wouldn't do it just because they are i would look at into those companies are they the successful players in the space or are they also struggling to work out their marketing position and they're out of desperation trying freemium this is this is also the thing like you never really know what's going on in your competitors uh, uh business you can only see the outside and it might be that uh by following what they're doing you're just following their own bad idea that well i would look for i'd look for the successful players to see what they're doing yes i guess but on the other hand you can't um you know, are they successful because of what they're doing or are they successful because they started 10 years ago and happened to be in the right place? Right. I mean, again, it, there's no there's no one path and there's no one yeah. blanket answer. I guess the key takeaway is for us, freemium works because I think our customer group, they have to try the product with their own, you know, and, and they want to get their hands dirty and really experience it. Otherwise, they won't become a customer. Um, that may be different in other categories. And for us, in our case, it's it's pretty easy to figure out what the, the limit should be. It's volume. Right, uh, right. If, if, depending on your product, there, it may be unclear what the limit should be or what the... Like in, with your, your service, I could well imagine that you create a not just a, a time-limited trial, but a free version of the product. But it has very clear limits, like um, the look and feel is kind of different. Like they can't put any branding on it. It's all in your brand. And it's maybe the number of people who, you know, after a certain number of feedbacks get submitted, it gets locked or something like that. I don't know. Um, yeah. Another model I have seen, though, is using, you could say, certain categories of customers can use it for free. Um, so for maybe like, like nonprofits, like open source, open source yeah. exactly, educational uh, services, things like that. That then creates the product problem of how do you verify that they're 
that they truly are what they say they are. But, you know, that can also be a good way of then people learn of the service through their open source work or whatever. And then when they then when they want something for their company, they they pay for it. So funny you should say that because we do offer free licenses for open source or free subscriptions for open source. And there's a couple of things we check, but ultimately we're, we're putting some trust into people to be what they say they are. Do you market that heavily or? or? Uh, we do have a web page dedicated to it in which we've tried to make it good for search engine optimization purposes. Yeah. From time to time, we link it on the bottom of our homepage, depending on whether we think it's a good idea or not. Uh, as you can probably sense from the way I'm talking about it, we've never been quite certain whether we want to promote it heavily or not. Yeah. So yeah, we have we have uh, a significant number of our users. I won't say customers because they're not paying money on that open source plan. So, I mean, that's one distinction that we always make is between users of our service, who are people who obviously use it, and, and customers being only people who actually pay us money. I like that. I hear a lot of times people using those terms interchangeably, and it always kind of annoys me because it kind of shows yeah. they don't really understand. Yeah, you should always be one thing that I think is very clear that very important with premium is understanding it's a way to get more customers, right? And and you should be very clear that the value comes from the customers. So everything Indeed. you should be doing is is thinking about how do I move someone from the free version eventually, you know, with, not with trickery or anything, but, you know, how do I convince them of the value or whenever they've reached the stage of their business that it, it now makes sense for them to actually start paying. So, so my concluding comment is I'm going to admit my ignorance and say I actually don't know much about uh, freemium. So I, I, for me, this has been a learning uh, experience, this this episode. Well, I think it's a complex topic, and, and I think there are a lot of different ways to do it. And I think we're seeing – I do think the trend is going more and more towards – making it easy for people to try things and the consumer expectation is going that way. So for example, it used to be a lot of people would require a credit card when you start a trial. I, I feel like people are more and more moving away from that. More and more the consumers are expecting that they, they have a, a, a simple, clear way to experience the product before having to commit to any kind of purchasing decision. So I think the trend is definitely going in this direction and, and people, people should keep their eyes open and look at kind of the best practices and see what they can do. Anything else to add? Steve, or, or should we wrap it up? That's all. I think wrapping it up is a good idea. Okay. So if anyone wants to have some some feedback for us on, on the topic of freemium, of course, they can head over to the forum at bootstrap.fm and uh, join the conversation. So that's all for us. Bye, Steve. Bye, Ed. Bye. That concludes this episode of Bootstrap. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Until next episode, goodbye.